Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Hey guys, welcome to Minor Wisdom! Yay! Uh, I want to welcome everybody to the Jerry Ayers uh, interview this week, and I'm super excited I finally had him on. I think we all have seen Jerry even, I think, talks about it uh, in this interview. It was done a while ago, over, it was done five weeks ago, uh, and we talk about his uh, accoutrement, his cost, his, uh, his, his dress, his clothing. So uh, everybody has seen Jerry knows what he looks like. Um, and now you get to hear from him. This interview is, and this is a theme that seems to be coming up. This is professional development in a podcast. And, uh, I know that, that there are other theater teaching podcasts out there that are definitely much more intentional with their professional development. But, uh, this one starting off kind of, um, this theme, I guess, over the next couple of months is going to be this kind of professional development thing. And it wasn't intentional, not at all. Uh, so with Jerry, we, we do talk about him and do the normal background thing, but it turns into some just great, great discussion uh, about theater and teaching and education and all that stuff, administration so it's a really, really great conversation. I really very much appreciate Jerry coming on and chatting with me about everything, just kind of trusting me to ask him some questions. Following that, uh, over the next few weeks, I've got other interviews that I did back in June. And, uh, you know, some of them are going to sound dated, even though they're only a few weeks old, six, seven, eight weeks old. But I've got Rena Cook on the horizon. Uh, I've got my my middle school teacher who's been on before, uh, Larry the Dizzle, Doc Slogger. Uh, I've got uh, Zach. I've got, uh, I've got, who else do I have? I've got quite a few other people, but I'm super excited just to keep giving these out there. <clears throat> um, I've noticed though recently, and I, and I think, I think I know why, but the numbers are lower on listeners and per week per, uh, or excuse me, per new episode, shall I say. They're not lower on on listeners themselves. So I am giving this intro right now to people that might not be listening to this for another year. And that's crazy because I have had lots of people reach out to me and tell me, hey, I just listened to this episode and that episode was from a year ago. And uh, that's really cool. I mean, I, I'm I'm all for that. Uh, I need to be more aware of that, I guess, when I record the interviews because uh, – uh, they're very, you know, they become dated, I guess, if you will. So, uh, I appreciate everybody following along and listening to this stuff, listening to these, uh, fun chats that I'm having with theater educators and theater professionals and so on and so forth. Speaking of theater professionals, I was invited into the Techland Houston studios, uh, this past week to do a round host, a round table chat with professionals in the industry, uh, consultants really, uh, mostly consultants. Uh, Eric Campbell was there, uh, Paul Copenhaver was there, and then some people that you might not know in the Texas education world. Uh, Paul used to be in education, but uh, has since left, but uh, Eric Friend 
Um, Christy Ross Clausen and Dan Ayers, <clears throat> I don't think any relation to Jerry, but they do have the same last name. But anyway, uh, that was a really fun chat. That's not only going to get released on this podcast, but it's also going to get released on the Techland Houston YouTube page once they kind of edit it down. There's not a whole lot of editing really to be done to it, so it shouldn't take long, but uh, talk about professional development, man. Like, if you're a fine arts administrator, whether you have a theater background or not, um, th- this the conversation that we had uh, this past week at Techland uh, was was for everyone. Like it needs to be popped into the old VCR and and viewed by every uh, school, every theater teacher and administrators too. It was great, great content for advocacy. Um, and I, you know, <laughs> not my board, but, uh, but it is great content for advocacy advocacy. So, uh, look for that in the future. Uh, but in the meantime, we got, we got Jerry and every time I say Jerry, I can't there, I think of either Springer or Seinfeld It really just depends on what mood I'm in. But anyway, uh, welcome back teachers. A lot of teachers are going back uh, this week, they went back this week. A lot of new teachers went back. There were a lot of new teachers and or a lot of teachers switching. So they're, you know, considered new teachers in the district. A lot of shocking moves. Some people taking jobs in places that surprised me um, and uh, good for them. I mean, that's good. You know, like like change is good, but uh, I hope everything works out. Uh, a lot of teachers are going back next week. I have my last in-person week uh, at Texas A&M Commerce next week, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I'm acting in our directing finals. Ooh, boy, I'm in every scene uh, because I'm the only male in our group, and we're doing Rabbit Hole, and we were assigned that. So I get I get to know Howie uh, really, really well. Uh, me and Howie, we tight, you know what I mean? So anyway... Uh, that's what's up on the horizon for me. I don't really have much else to say. Please make sure you are checking out the website uh, that is offering shirts. I will uh, bonfire. I will throw that into the link or into the d- description, if you will. And also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. MySpace, Friendster, Live Journal, whatever you want. Uh, leave a good rating, please. I saw somebody left a three. A three star? What What can I do better? Like, I'm a theater person. Give me some feedback. Well, like, notes, not sound feedback. Not wee, not that, okay? So anyway, enjoy this week's chat with uh, the one and only. There is one and there is one and only Jerry Ayers. Theater for me started when I was in second grade. Uh, we got to do a play. Well, there was a play in our reading book, and the teacher said we weren't going to do it. So a group of us got together and put it, uh, produced it on the playground. And I played the devil. And that's where it all started. (laughs) And I was hooked. And um, we convinced our, we had a very successful uh, theater program in our high school at that time. But when I got to high school, they had uh, disbanded the program because of numbers. And those same friends that produced the second grade show on the playground convinced that English teacher to do one at play again. And um, so that's how that started. And we, we were very fortunate. We won our first two rounds, our first time out. We fought, we went to state my senior year 
And um, I was all ready to go off to college and be a um, genetics major. And my, my biology teacher said, I always thought you'd be a theater teacher. And that's how I became a theater teacher. <laughs> so, um, and then the rest is, yeah, you know, once I, once I got into that theater classroom, it was, it made perfect sense that this was what I should be doing and what I needed to be doing. And even though I was an actor all the way up from second grade, once I got into that theater classroom and started directing and working with kids, I didn't have that desire to be back on stage. It was all about telling the story and getting those kids to tell the story and getting those kids to do things they never thought they could do. And so that's what got me to where I am. And so how many years have you now been in the classroom? Uh, I started teaching in 87. So whatever, I'm not the math major. So yeah, whatever right. many years it is. <laughs> that's it. So 35-ish years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I only know that because I was born in 82 and, <laughs> and I just turned 40. So yeah, I'm going right? to, yeah, that math was easy for me. But uh, so 35 years in the classroom, um, where, how many different places have you been uh, in that 35 years? Um, let's see, Duncanville, uh, Richland, Burleson, and now Grand Prairie. Okay. So, so I've been in four districts. Yeah. So not too many, uh, not too many changes. It's common yeah. nowadays for people to kind of do the frog lily hop. Yes. Uh, so, um, you know, that's good for you for long, some longevity. What is your out? What is your plan to, once you were done, uh, as far as keeping yourself busy? Cause it's, you know, educators always struggle with retiring right. because it's, uh, right. uh, we, we like to keep going or at least theater educators. Cause we like to, right. we, we enjoy that kind of hustle and bustle. So what's your kind of plan once you're done? Well, I think that, um, I'll hopefully stay an, an adjudicator for one act for as long as I can. Um, and of course I enjoy that aspect of it, but I really, really like the workshops. So I'll continue workshopping and, um, you know, dabbling in some playwriting and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I saw, was it this past year that you did your own show for one act player? Have you done your own show before or am I making that up? No, I, I, well, my, um, my first year at Duncanville, I had a group of kids who really, really wanted to do Romeo and Juliet. And so we adapted it. So okay. that's where that all started. Okay. And then when I got into Richland, um, I needed a script for some funny girls. I had some funny, <laughs> funny girls and there that's, that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Um, that then these were physically funny girls, not just, you know, not, not just, um, crimes really? of the heart yeah. funny. They yeah. were, they could do physical comedy. So, uh, that's when I wrote wild strawberries for okay. those girls. And did, so I've written several one X for my cast. Did you, did you know you liked to write until you started pretty much? I know that's kind of a weird question. Nobody knows they like something until they start it. But I mean, had you kind of always wanted to, right or did you do it and then realize oh i i actually enjoy this well we had a an eighth grade english teacher who was a journalist 
and she made us write all the time. And uh, she said, you know, you could be a writer if you wanted to. And, and so, but then I didn't really have any opportunity or, and I was so busy in high school doing other things that, um, that I just kind of put it off to the side. But then when I started writing again, it was like, oh, okay. I remember you. I remember you now. So. Yeah. And then, you you know, uh, I mentioned before we started recording the, your kind of background there. uh, And you, you also always in public, you are always presenting yourself as like, just your presentation is, is very immaculate. It's nice. Um, And so uh, is that something that's just always been kind of a thing for you? Have you, even as a child, were you always, they, they say dress for the job you want, not the job you have, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, uh, has that always been sort of your, your style is just to make sure that, that you are presenting yourself nice. (laughs) My English, I I don't have an English background. (laughs) I think that, um, I think that comes from that costumer and I've always been a costumer and it's like, so what, what is your, what is this outfit saying about the character? Yeah. So I think that that's what drives me when, you know, I want to look, you know, right now as an administrator, I want to look professional. I want to look like I care. I want to look. And if, you know, if I, if I look like I care about what I look like, then I'm going to care about you. Right. You know, and I just, I just think that's that it's that costumer background of always being aware of what does it look like. Right. Do you get a, do you get a thrill from shopping for yourself as far as that is concerned? Like, is there a little bit of a joy with that? Uh, it's really cool when I find something that, that nobody else wants that, that I think looks good. Uh, but mostly I really hate shopping for clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, because you know they're made well clothes today are made for little bitty skinny people and i'm not a little bitty skinny people (laughs) right right i understand that i get that yeah i just got rid of a lot of uh little bitty skinny clothes that i used to fit in yeah yeah (laughs) I, i get that and then where does the costume love come from i mean you mentioned the second grade play and playing the devil and all that kind of stuff i mean is that you know my sister when I was a kid used to dress me up and mm-hmm. has, has passed that gene onto her daughter, my niece to dress. She dresses her younger brother up and is right. constantly going upstairs for 20 minutes hiding and then comes <laughs> down and she's in a completely different outfit. That kind of my niece, not my sister. Uh, my sister used to do that, but, <laughs> um, but is that something that you've kind of always had the, the costume fabric type love? I mean, yeah, I had um, one of my grandmothers was very immaculate in her dress. She was, I mean, totally concerned about what it looked like. How it was it pressed? Was it clean? Was it, you know, all that? And then my other grandmother was a seamstress, so you know we we've and a quilter. So you know we were just always surrounded by fashion of the day and how to put it together and. And so, um, and then when I got to college, I'm, I'm, you know, I had Sheila Hargett at Texas state and she's an amazing, amazing costumer and just a wizard with fabric. So, yeah. um, So yeah, it's just, it's just, I guess I've been much more theatrical now that I look back at it than when it was all happening. 
And you, I'm, uh, you said Texas State. I, I'm assuming you were there when it was Southwest. Yeah, it was Southwest. Yeah. Did you Southwest. did you get your diploma changed? <laughs> I know some people did. <laughs> no. <that>. Okay. <laughs> no. I know. I, I know, didn't. I know that was an option for a while because my sister also went to Texas State for a little bit for South or Southwest, and she got even though she didn't graduate from there, she got the email because she's considered a lot. I just, they just want money, but you know. Uh, but I just remember that she was dumbfounded by the fact that they emailed her asking if she wanted her non-existing diploma changed. <laughs> So yeah, I was just wondering if you got that change. Uh, did you have you done a uh, any advanced education outside of Southwest? I have. Okay. I started um, my master's in um, education, um, not assessment. Yeah, education assessment, which is I got you. Kind of, I'm not real sure what it is. I think they made it up. <laughs> Talk about wanting money, master's <laughs> programs. I think really yeah. they just want money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's, that's been, um, that's been really a, an interesting journey because I have been in the classroom, yeah. not, I mean, you know, I've, well, I've been an administrator for seven years, but that's not too long ago that I was in the classroom, but my current professors haven't been in an actual secondary <laughs> high school classroom. Ah. In forever, I right. think I think one professor has been in there right after she graduated. She was a teacher, but she's been a professor, and so their concept of what high school children can do, need to do, is 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 way out out of line. I right. mean, it is that that, and it's it has brought in some very interesting um, discussions because yeah. <laughs> I'm a imagine. little hard headed. Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah, that I can imagine that. Yeah, it's uh, that's one of those things with, because I did an education with administration uh, masters, and uh, that was always a conversation of how do you get administrators to still relate, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, how do you get them to still relate to what is actually happening in the classroom? Do you do you find yourself venturing back in? Do you make sure that you're entering the walls of a classroom more often than than others because you just kind of want to make sure you're still hip, I guess, to, to, to the modern world or, uh, is, do you just not have enough time? No, I make it, um, I really, really put it in part of my weekly agenda is to be in that classroom. Right. Um, and, and that, that's the reason why if, if I don't understand what's going on in that classroom, how am I going to support mm -hmm. my teachers? How can I mentor them? How can I be their advocate? Yeah. You know, if, if if I'm hearing one thing and my teachers are saying, but this isn't working, right. I need to be in there and know why it doesn't work. So I can say, you know, this doesn't work or yes, please keep doing this because it's making these teachers more successful. So I think it's incredibly important that administrators are in the classroom and not there to grade a teacher right. or, you know, mark a teacher down on any kind of rubric, but just there to watch right. and, and see what is happening. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that's really important. So that, that is a part of my weekly agenda. Right. Well, good for you. What, what is besides one act play adjudication and, and workshops and such, you know, that's only a small amount of time during the school year. What, what kind of gives you your, your creative kicks? What are you, what are you doing to kind of release that energy, if you will? 
Um, I think that um, late lately it has been working with <clears throat> working with my teachers and creating ways to deliver theater that's in a you know in a way that is relevant to, to kids and 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 to change things because kids kids are the same but kids are very different yeah and yeah. it used to be kids were different like kind of a generation at a time but now kids are different almost each year there's something new there's something so I think that I've been able to channel that creativity into how do we create curriculum how do we adapt curriculum how do how do we continue to make theater accessible and relevant to these kids um, that are you know having all these new challenges right right and speaking of those challenges what uh, what are some things that you uh, with the advent of kind of going online for a little bit and then now we're coming back out of that world and kids are adjusting to the social element mm. of school. Uh, what are some things that you're seeing with kind of your teacher? You know, let me back up a little bit. The, the teachers are obviously, it's kind of a nationwide issue that they're getting burned out and uh, mm. they're, they're quitting and they're going off to try different things. My wife is guilty of that as well. Uh, what is it that you can do as an advocate and administrator uh, to help those teachers just kind of see light at the end of the tunnel and say, Hey, we're going to get back to where we were. Just hang with me. Or do you kind of almost just have to cut bait and say, you got to take care of yourself and we'll find, uh, we'll find somebody uh, else that, that is hopefully just as competent and uh, energetic as you are. I I think that um, it's really a case by case. Um, I, you know, I had a teacher this year who uh, had a baby in um, March and she had the rest of the year off in maternity leave. And I knew she wasn't coming back. I knew she wasn't. She kept saying, oh, no, I'll be back in the fall. I'll be back in the fall. I'm like, no, you're not. And she called and she said, I'm really torn. I don't know what to do. I really want to come back in the classroom. But I have this new baby. And it was like, look, you can always go back into the classroom. There are always going to be children who need you in the classroom, but those formative years with that child of yours, you don't get that back, you know, but then I have another teacher who was on the fence of leaving or staying. And it was simply because she really kind of hated the children. And so it was like, okay, we're going to step back. What can I do that will make next year much better? And so we had this really frank discussion about, you know, she needs X, Y, Z. Okay, I'm going to work on getting you that. And so she's going to stay and we're going to work together to kind of refill her well because she had just given and given and given and she felt like she didn't have any more to give. Well, I think that when we revitalize the way she does things, she's going to find that joy. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, who knew? Who knew that? that time of quarantine would disrupt the children's education so much. And I think what I've seen is I think we forget how much education is rote. And when those children don't do it every day, it's, Oh yeah. It's so hard for them to get back into it. But then again, I also think that some incredible things came out of teaching online. 
But then when we got to go back into person, we went, oh, no more online. We're not. So we didn't take, we didn't take what worked and develop that and, and integrate that into when we came back in person, it was like, oh no, everything's got to go back to the way it was. And it shouldn't have it. We should have advanced. And I think that's where the burnout is coming because some teachers were incredibly successful with some online elements, but now they can't use that anymore because we've got to do it like we used to do it. And so I, we are, I think in, in public education, we are at, we're really kind of at a precipice. I mean, we have got to build a bridge or we're all going to go over the edge and, you know, with, all this expectation of test scores and expectations of you've got to be exactly where you were with your numbers. And a a lot of what I saw and being an adjudicator this past year, going around Texas and seeing all the schools, they were all having the same problem was my shows just aren't as good as they were. Well, I saw some really good shows this year, some really good shows. And the directors were, really upset and disappointed that that show that was really, really good. Didn't feel like their work before, Ah. you know? So that whole mindset of, I don't have what I had. I got to get that back has really held a lot of people back. And then that puts that kind of burden. And I think that's what leads to some of the burnout too, is, there's a notion that we are not as good as we were before yeah. COVID when really it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. So that's you, man, you just said a lot, uh, that it, it resonated with me. <laughs> so I, I, you know, the, the, one of the first points you made about teachers, six, there were some teachers that succeeded and mm-hmm. excelled online and, mm-hmm. and, you know, again, I, I'm only going to speak on what I know, but my wife was one of those. She, I mean, she had beautiful online digital, uh, content that she created and, you know, even recorded cool videos with our daughters to kind of help as a, as a model for her students mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I really didn't even think about that as a, as a kind of element to the burnout is that she felt she had to now go back and recreate. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's just a really great point. Very profound on your part. Um, so I, I'm going to ask you a question that you, you may or may not have the answer to, and this could turn out to be a, a an entire professional development day of eight hour podcast. But <laughs> I, I mean, do you, this is a very basic question and I know that, that you don't have the full answer, but I mean, what is, what is a direction we could go? What is a way that we could, try to let me back up again i think part of how how you were saying it is is we wanted to almost forget uh that we went online for the reasons that we went online not that we went online but we wanted to forget we went online because of this pandemic because we were forced to because of this illness and and you know deaths and everything so it was almost like we went back to quote normal because we just wanted to forget about that negative element of it. So do you think there's going to be a point within the next couple of years that we can say, Hey, let's reflect back on what we did do. That was positive. That did come out of that, the silver lining that came out of that, uh, and then incorporate that into our daily 
educational lives is do you think that there's going to be that or has that already started in that administrative world or can you speak on that at all i think like that it's i think it has to happen i mean i my hope is that it does happen i think that there have been some tiny tiny baby steps into it but i think there was such like you said if we go back to normal then the bad thing didn't happen and we've got to get past that our kids, we, we had some incredibly successful kids <clears throat> online, kids who, uh, until they went online, they, they were failing, they, were, they weren't keeping up, they went online, they blossomed. There's got to be, there's got to be a way that we can find <clears throat> and address what worked about online without losing that social element, which now that we're back in a social setting, we found out that was disastrous. But those kids that were successful online, now they're back in person, they're shutting down again. Right. And we're in a society that, you know, we, we're, it's 2022. And we're still teaching like it's, you know, 1887. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and, it, and I'm not talking about how we, add technology we've added technology we have smart boards and video and all this but we still have the mindset to teach like i'm the teacher i'm going to give you all this information you're going to absorb it and go on yeah and and kids don't get their information like that anymore right and i think that was one of the beautiful things about online is that those kids were we were now in their world and now we've gone back. So I think that we have got to find the hybrid between the online, the, the children-centered learning, and the social part of it. Yep. Because that's, that's where we're going. And, and, and it has got to be, it's got to be more one voice instead of all these little voices not listening to anybody. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's not so much that we will, we have to, we have to. Does that, does that model sort of look like, you know, two days in the classroom, two days out that, you know, where, where a student shows up for a Monday of, of information and lecture and here's everything that you need, uh, Tuesday, let's check back in, make sure you got what you need. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and potentially Friday, uh, or even Wednesday, Thursday, you go away, we do some asynchronous or we do some online version of things, digital versions, and then Friday they come back and present it. You know, is that is that kind of, it, it, I know we're kind of talking outside of the, or into the uh, sort of hopeful unknown, but is that kind of a, a, a change of model? Um, because what you just said about how we teach, that's a pedagogical issue, mm-hmm. you know, it's, like you said, we do have smart boards, we do have video, we do have projections and things like that. Uh, it, so is that just trying to get out of the little house on the prairie and just change, just completely blow up the current model and change the schedule pretty much? I, th- I, mean, I think so. I think, I think that, um, you know, I saw, I saw something somewhere that said we we aren't we aren't afraid of we are so afraid of change 
because we're afraid of what we would have to give up when we should be uh, looking to what we could gain. And right. that, and in, in public education, change is the hardest thing because it it's new, we'd give this up. But I think something like maybe it's half a day of that kind of classroom setting and yeah. the other half of the day is hands-on or online or student-based research or student-based inquiry that 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 the whole model of the day has to change the whole model of the week has to change and and that i think you're right when you when you say you know maybe it's monday wednesday tuesday thursday or maybe it's core classes are taught one way yeah with more online more this and then your fine arts you get those kids every day yeah for for more time because you know we learned that and we knew that if if you do something like uh instrumental or yeah. band or or dance even or theater even you need that daily practice right you know i had a ballet teacher and she would say you must do every day of course she has a really really thick russian accent so <laughs> <laughs> that i can't do so um and she and she meant it. I mean, if you don't do bar every day, if you didn't do yeah. your across the floor every day, you lost it, and it showed. And and so I think that there's got to be yeah we got we got to put some TNT under this yeah. Monday through Friday and and blow it up and do something different. Right. Well, let's get off of that. Uh, you know, the I'll I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up, and you don't need to say anything about this necessarily because I don't uh, I, I don't want you to get yourself in trouble. But I I genuinely think one of the reasons that people are so protective, and it has to do with also certain situations issues that we have currently in our country that have to do with money, um, mm-hmm. and you know, pockets are being filled, and that's mm-hmm. what we have to remove. And you don't need to say anything about that. So that can just be my <laughs> comment, but. Um, so as far as, you know, I, I'm, I'm close friends with Philip Taylor and, and the, and have talked profusely with Travis Springfield and, and all these in different people that are kind of in a similar position that you have. I don't know why I said talked profusely. That's not the right way of saying it, but again, I don't English good. Um, what is something that you've learned in your new role that you didn't know before? And I'm talking about in the, in the artistic world. Uh, you know, cause you mentioned dance and I don't know about your dance background. Uh, uh, but what are some things that you kind of learned that you were like, wow, that's kind of, kind of neat. I want to explore that a little bit. I can, I can speak on like Philip Taylor, who is in Austin, uh, who was over mariachi and it was mm-hmm. kind of a new thing for him, you know? Uh, and so he explored it some more, obviously to, to give some, so that he could talk to his teachers and know what he's talking about, but also, uh, just cause he was, it was interesting to him. What is something like that for you that, that you have found? Um, uh, the, the, there've been two things yep. that, uh, that I've, that I've known about, but not really thought about. Uh, one of them is pottery. You know, I've watched people throw clay before, but I've never like, been like ghost. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I have never been up close enough to anybody throwing that I actually got slip thrown on me, you God. know? So to be that close and to watch how that clay is manipulated was fascinating. And I just had the discussion with my art coordinator. It's like, okay, I've watched this up close from for seven years from this master teacher. This year I have got to get my hands in there and yeah. do this because that's fascinating. And the other thing that just 
blew my mind, even though I was aware of it and I've seen performances, was Ballet Folklorico. Oh. I mean, I, I knew that it had regional um, background. Yeah. And I mean, I knew it had a historical background, but the precision and the specificity of, you know, you've got to wear the flower on your right side or your left side. And these earrings are only if you're dancing from this region and these shoes that, that and there's 53 different regions. And I'm just like, how do you keep all that straight? So that <laughs> has been a fascinating journey. And I've, I've really learned a lot. Right. Do you think, well, I was going to say, do you think that again, not to keep going back to the kind of costume fabric background, but do you think a little bit of that has to do with that history element to you? Not, not necessarily the dance as much as, because you just mentioned the, the style of their, their outfits, their dress. Does that have to do with just your background or just your interest? Yeah. 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 I think, I think, well, I think that's, that's what attracted me to it right. was, oh, well, this this dance is very different because costume is very, very different, which led me to, you know, learn all the little, oh, well, that's got to be on the right side or left side. But then to get and start watching the footwork, even though it's basically the same toe heel, toe heel, yeah. the footwork, the ground plant, the traffic pattern, all that is incredibly specific to the region. And and it was born out of how how does this region celebrate what they do? Yeah, you know their dances are about farming. Their dances about being on the seaside. Their dances about um, ancient the, the ancient cultures and the and indigenous people. And so all that's just incredibly fascinating. That it's you know how do you place that foot? Where do you place that foot? If it's three inches in front of one it's a totally different region than if they're side by side. Right. So um, I'm, I'm just fascinated by, by the intricacies of Valley folklore. Interesting. I'll, I'll expect that workshop at uh, TXCTA. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what is something that you also have experienced as an administrator that makes you really want to go back to the classroom? And I'm not saying you're going back to the classroom. I'm just, you know, what is it that you've kind of seen that, you're like, wow, I, I, I wish I could get back in the class and do X, Y, Z that, that maybe a master teacher has exhibited for you or, or an exemplar for you that makes you mm. kind of just itch at that. Um, I'm trying to get you to gloat on your teachers. <laughs> I, I have, oh, that's easy to do. Yeah. I have a, a theater team um, that I don't know how they do it they they get these kids to be so incredibly honest mm -hmm. and I I sneak into their after school rehearsals so they don't know I'm there just so I can watch how they work with these kids um and then I scare them because they turn around and I'm you know sitting yeah. three rows behind them watching <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and and they they just th that I would love to do that I would would love to get back into the classroom and and do some of the things that I've watched them do right. to get these kids to have that moment. They're not, you know, I think that's what we do as directors is, is we, we have a story to tell and we've got these kids that are trying to tell the story, 
but we don't want them to look like they're telling a story. We yeah. want them yeah. to be the story. And that, I mean, that's hard for any age. Um, but for kids, that seems to be harder because they, they seem very protected and they don't want to open up and, you know, what, what will somebody think about me? And I've just watched these teachers very, very calm, very nurturing, very uh, connected to their kids, get them to a place where it's not just about the words and it's not just about, you know, cross down left or whatever. It's mm -hmm. really listening. And I think, I think that's something that um, I would, I would like to get back in the classroom so I could work on those listening skills as an actor. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I, I want to switch your brain for a little bit and I'll, we'll talk about this for a, a couple minutes and then I'll, I'll get you out of here, but, uh, one act plays. So you have not been an adjudicator, uh, your entire time as an educator, uh, I'm right. assuming, uh, has it just been the past seven years or so, or is it, is it a little less than that? Or how long have you been one? Well, um, I was, I took, uh, seven years off, uh, okay. in the middle of my teaching career because I thought I, I, you know, I've been teaching this. Why am I not doing this? Right. So I thought I'd be a professional designer director. And then after several years of, okay, this really doesn't make money. <laughs> it's a whole lot of work. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any money. Uh, I had the opportunity to go back to classroom. Uh, so I had those seven years where I did adjudicating. Okay. And then I've had these seven years where I've been adjudicating. Okay. And um, so I have, I've seen a lot of one X. Right. <laughs> how, how did that time change? You know, uh, so you, that's interesting. So I'm going to go down a different path than I'd originally planned. So when you were an adjudicator and then went back to the classroom, how did that change how you kind of tackled your one act plays? Did it, did you, because you saw it in different eyes, if you will, from the other side of the, literally from the other side of the, uh, of the house, uh, how did that kind of change how you tackled your formula, your, your one act play directing, uh, or did it, did it even change it at all? Um, I think it did. I really think it did. It, um, you know, and one act evolves over the years and, and the, the status quo for one act changes and what's expected in one act changes. And, and that, that being that adjudicator for those years, that's really open. That's, that's what I learned is like, okay, one act really does change year to year and you need to stay up and do that. Um, but what I've recently learned being an adjudicator is that this, it really, really, really is so much about the story. And what I wish we could do is strip everything off, you know, and really just pay attention to the story. And you find those adjudicators who can do that, who can, you know, they don't, they see through the production extras. Um, so that's, I, th I think that's what I've learned recently being an adjudicator is that if you've got the story, if you've got those moments, if you've got the reality of the, the flow of the story, then you don't need whistles and bells to have that good show. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't remember who I was just talking to, but 
it could have even been uh, Destiny Miller's professional development that she led a couple weeks ago, but she was talking about, uh, yeah, it was her. She was talking about how uh, somebody had asked about her sets um, and her almost lack thereof. And she said, mm -hmm. I only, I only put what I need on stage. Uh, I don't put anything else. If, if, if the script or the story doesn't call for it, I don't put it on stage. And so, and at least in one act play, it's proven to be uh, a good formula for her. So, uh, yeah. you know, six years in a row, not, not too bad, not too shabby, but, um, well, that's good. So then when you went back to being an adjudicator, even though you had been directing, uh, what is something that kind of took you by surprise, uh, caught you off guard when you, when you went back to that world, uh, the other side again? Uh, when I started up again, that was about this time we started doing big projections gotcha. and, and suddenly it was all about the wow factor. Yeah. And we did that for a couple of years and yeah. it was like, wait a minute, we all can't afford yeah. to have four $40,000 projectors on stage. It's, this can't be about wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's cool. But, um, and then, so that was surprising was that, oh, this has become about the production. Yeah. And so I'm, 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 I'm glad to see we've kind of are learning how to use projections to help tell the story instead of in place of the story. Yeah. Now you don't need to give names or titles or schools or directors or anything like that, but <laughs> right now uh, I don't want that. Cause again, I don't, it's not necessary, but has there ever been a time as an adjudicator? Cause it is a world that again, selfishly I'm looking to go into because now that I'm in private school, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have no affiliation. So, um, is there a time when you struggled mightily with who, who, who you're ranking pretty much, uh, that you, it wasn't as clear as you wanted it to be because I, you know, I've heard stories of adjudicators will, will know the top half and will know the bottom half, but it's just a matter of, uh, who, you know, what order those those schools come in has there ever been a time where you were just you know you had to do a tiebreaker and that tiebreaker was that they all their lights worked or you know something kind of kind of simple but also it was just at this level we have to you you got to have all your ducks in a row that kind of thing yeah um i i think there is some of that i think that that um you know if if the lights don't work because they haven't rehearsed that element enough. Yeah. I mean, you, you can tell yeah. then. Yeah. Surely that goes on the, the, the column of did not succeed here. Yeah. Right. Um, but if the lights don't work because, you know, the batteries are low or the kid got ahead of, a, uh, in a queue. And yeah. I mean, and you can tell when, you skip a cue and it's a hit, you know, cause, um, so operator error is not, that does not go in that column for me of right. did not succeed. That's just something that, I mean, it's a touring show. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. go into a space that you've never been in before. Yeah. <laughs> things are not going to work. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, that cross that when you're at home, you know, that cross takes two seconds, Yeah. but you get into that great big, huge theater and now that cross takes three seconds and that throws your timing off. Right. 
Okay. So you can tell about that. Um, but I think for me, my, my deciding factor is if I have a cast of four, they, and then I have a cast of 12 that are, and it was similar, like, okay, the, I don't know if this is, these two are going to be second or third, right? right, Or third or fourth. Then I have to look at, okay, those four, all four of those kids had better been up for all-star or best actor, best right. actress, right? If I have a cast of 12 and 90% of them are of the all-star caliber, then I have to go with, you know, which cast had the most percentage of right. better acting. I got you. Better storytelling. So um, I don't think I've ever looked at a play and gone, oh, that play's got nicer costumes or yeah. that play's got better lights. And that's going to be a deciding factor for me. Um, I enjoy costumes yeah. that are historically accurate. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's my background. Yeah. But uh, I, I think unless unless it inhibits the storytelling or it just is so jarring and takes me out of the moment, I try not to let tech right. be a deciding factor for me. Okay. Well, I'm going to get you out of here with a fun question. And okay. it, might, it might be the hardest one to answer for you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what is one show that you would still love to do direct and why wow yeah, one, see, huh? see. One. yeah yeah just i mean i've got all the time in the world today so if you have more than one <laughs> <laughs> please um i i think that wow it's okay it's a tie okay that's fine i'll allow love it. Of the night love of the nightingale um and the illusion by Kushner, and it's because they are so. The story is so riveting, and there is so much magic in the storytelling, and the opportunity for characters and relationships and depth of development are so challenging in both of those pieces that even though I've done them before, I would love to do them again and see, you know, now that, now that I have grown and matured as, as a, as a theater artist, how would that affect how I did those shows now? Because I did those shows really early on in my directing career. <clears throat> and even though they were incredibly successful shows, what would I do differently now? I would like to see how I've grown as a storyteller, and I think those two scripts would be my biggest challenge. Why do we 